Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of Truth to Power, our community conversation where we gather folks around the microphones here on Forward Radio for a for a discussion of hot topics of the day. Uh, and I'm very excited to have with me in the virtual studio uh, someone who stays on top of these hot topics. His name is Bruce Maples and he is publisher of Forward Kentucky the progressive voice for Kentucky politics. You can find them at forwardky.com or uh, on the social media at forwardky. This is great. Forward Radio having Forward Kentucky on the airwaves. Welcome, yep. Bruce. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here, and thank you for that nice introduction. And yeah. yes, Forward Kentucky on Forward Radio is a... <laughs> It's a good thing. It's almost it's almost like karma or something. <laughs> uh, well, my name is Justin Mogg. I'm a programmer here on the station. I do a program called Sustainability Now, so I'm sure we'll be talking about that too. But uh, I want to get the story of Forward Kentucky. Uh, how long has this thing been going, and how did it get started? Well, I've been blogging for a long, long, long time. Hmm. Uh, Back basically back in the early days of Blogger, so oh, wow. you know it's that's been a while. Uh, I had a site called Progress Louisville, which was focused on just Louisville politics and policy. And then the 2015 election happened, and Matt Bevan got elected. And like many people, I was just so upset by that. Yeah, and I thought, well, we got to do something statewide, and. I started out thinking that I would build an organization, uh, basically a parallel to the Democratic Party. But what happened was Adam Edelin decided the same thing and started the New Kentucky Project. And I realized <laughs> that Adam had a little more name recognition than I did. So, and then I looked around and realized that there wasn't anybody doing what I would consider a progressive website for the state. Mm. And so I looked at some of the others. There's Progress Minnesota and Progress, or there's various other sites. And they were all nonprofit. And looking back on it, maybe I should have done that. But I decided to go as a for-profit so that I could endorse people. Oh. Uh, just like the newspaper. So I had a we had a crowdfunding drive uh, in 2016 and uh, kicked it off, uh, officially kicked it off in September of 2016. Wow. And so I said when I started that I would go through the 2020 election. That was my goal, was to, to keep it up that long. We changed funding models. We had, we had uh, memberships for a long time. I tried advertising, and that was a bust. Mm -hmm. uh, but we had memberships. And I put up a paywall about two years ago. And uh, a flexible paywall, so you got so many free articles. And that worked well. Uh, we got a number of new members. But uh, we got through the 2020 election, and we were just about breaking even. And I uh, was going to maybe shut it down because it had been five years, and I thought, well, that's long enough. And I had some <laughs> people say, well, we really want you to keep it going through the General Assembly, at least, because we want to use the bill tracker you provide. Oh, nice. So so I said, okay. So we kept it going through the General Assembly, had the bill tracker, 
in fact, we have a we had a scorecard for legislators and all sorts of good stuff like that. But I realized it basically I had stopped writing and all I was doing was administering. Oh. And I decided about three weeks ago to cut back some on uh, what we were doing there in terms of news. I was trying to do news, you know, gather all the political news for the state and be the go-to place for the news. Mm, yeah. And I realized that I just didn't have time to do that. Yeah. Uh, not without a reporter. And I didn't have an, we were barely break. We were breaking even, but certainly not enough to make, to hire staff. So I decided to drop trying to cover all the news. Most of what we got a lot of traffic for anyway was commentary. Hmm. And so we kept that part. So we're still there. We're still posting commentaries. Uh, we have a number of contributors who uh, had been paid, but they agreed to work for free and send in their pieces. And so we have a number of writers continuing to post and we're still, you know, making noise and trying to be. And in fact, what may turn out of all of this is that the progressive voice part may actually become the most important part hmm. uh, because that's the part that's going to, you know, keep going. So we've dropped the paywall. We've dropped the memberships. We do have a donate button for people to help with ongoing costs, of which there are some. Uh, but that's that's where we are right now. Sounds sounds a lot like forward radio. We we've we've got a donate button too that we rely on entirely uh, to get the word out. And yeah, we don't have any staff. We don't have time to gather all the news, but uh, we certainly share some news and a lot of progressive commentary here on this station as well. Um, so yeah, lots of nice parallels there uh, in in terms of progressive voices for Kentucky politics. But um, I just I just want to know like how you feel doing this work in Kentucky. Um, it, it seems like we, we have some real bright moments in the state for progressive voices. Uh, but there's boy, there sure is a lot of grind, isn't there? <laughs> yes, uh, I'm I'm part of a number of groups of activists and policy people who meet during the General Assembly. Yeah. And. Basically, by the end of the General Assembly, that group turns into a shared depression <laughs> uh, where, you know, it's just like, well, what other bad news can we find today? Oh, my. Interestingly, I have and, and maybe this is just my way of looking at it. I've been doing this for a while. I've been involved in politics since about 2000. Hmm. So, you know. I gripe a lot about some of the things that happened in Frankfurt, Frankfurt, but I have commented a couple of times that, you know, we've got traditionally bad Republicans, not currently crazy bad Republicans like some other states. I mean, yeah, they, they jacked around with the tax rates a few years ago and made them less progressive and hurt poor people. And none of the bills that were put in by progressives this year got very much play yeah. and instead we paid attention once again to abortion and some things like that but on the other hand uh there have been you were asking about bright spots uh you had some bipartisan legislation that got passed that was actually good legislation the the reentry bill for example 
uh, that helping people who have been incarcerated when they come back into society, oh, really? providing providing more services for them. Wow. You had Robert Stiver's no-knock bill, which wasn't Brianna's law, but at least was a step in that direction. Uh, there was some, you know, so there were some bills that actually made it out of the legislature. So, yeah. And, and interestingly, they raised all this sand about Bashir's spending of the money. You know, you can't spend it till you talk to us, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the session, right at the end of the session, they took his suggested budget for the rescue for the relief act and basically passed it really agreed with him on on pretty much most what he wanted to do so you know i don't like conservative political philosophy because i think it's bad for people but i have to say that some of the republicans in frankfurt not all but some do work with democrats and do pass some good bills jason nemus is an interesting person. He was he's pushed now for two years for medical marijuana. Wow. Uh, and I think there was too short a session this year with yeah. having to do a budget and everything. Yeah. But I think he might actually get that next year. Yeah. So yes, it becomes depressing. And the the larger depression right now, or the larger concern for me, is on a national level, because I see I, I don't want to be overly dramatic about this but we have two very different views of government and two very different views of truth that's right yeah going on right now and i'm concerned about what that means for the ability for our ability to govern ourselves mm. it worries me when you have people i i understand okay we want we think tax cuts are great okay that's fine but when you have people who say, no, Trump really won and there's a deep state and they're and they're stealing everything and they and they believe that. And there's a lot of them. That's a problem. So that's my biggest concern right now is the the national picture less less than Kentucky. The, the biggest problem I have with in Kentucky is the uh, inability of the Democratic Party to get out from the framing that Republicans put on it. But I'm not sure that will change until a whole bunch of people grow up and take over. Well, th that's a really interesting point, Bruce. I, I, I want to know, I want to hear you say more about that, like how the Republicans frame the Democrats. But before we get there, I, I just have to back up a second and ask this national picture of division uh, and, and two different visions of how to govern ourselves and of, of America. Are you saying you don't think that exists in Kentucky as, as, as strong or it's not as worrying in Kentucky for some reason? I think that the thing for the most part is that the leadership I see in Frankfurt, and I'm talking specifically about Robert Stivers and David Osborne and some of the other Republican leaders, and frankly, the state Republican Party. I don't see them coming out and saying Trump won. Hmm. I don't see them coming out and saying it was rigged, it was stolen. I don't see too many of them being QAnon supporters or believers. And I don't see too many of them saying that Democrats are evil. You know, they're sort of old fashioned Republicans okay. in, in my mind in that way. Now, out in the hinterlands, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
it's out there and and it's there are some places where it's dramatically rough but i don't see it in the governance so for instance the the voting bill in georgia that just passed the one that's under consideration in texas i don't think that would ever pass in frankfurt oh really i don't think they would try to pass it huh now granted i may be pollyanna on steroids <laughs> you know for this but but i don't see that in the leadership uh when the protesters hung Andy bashir in effigy yeah uh, yeah yeah, year, yeah the republicans were just as quick as the democrats to condemn it you know they basically said this is uh, daniel cameron who we could talk about Mr. Cameron oh, yeah. if we need to. Uh, he was like the day it happened. He was on social media saying this is unacceptable. We can't have this stuff, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I, I don't think that that is as bad in Frankfurt. Uh, I do think that there are, I mean, what's it? Here's an interesting counter statistic per population, not total numbers, but by, you know, per 1 million people in your state. Kentucky sent more people to the January 6th insurrection, I think, than any other state. Really? Wow. Uh, by, by population. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. So, well, I mean, we're, I'm not talking about a huge number. Sure. But, <laughs> it doesn't but, amount to all that much. Yeah, but, but yes, yeah, so we have that. There's definitely that that flavor out there. Hmm. Uh, Kentucky has a number of hate groups. Yeah, uh, you know, put uh, identified by SPLC. So yes, we have that split. But I think one of the things, and uh, Barry Craig pointed this out on our site. He said he had an article called "Here's Why Republicans in Frankfurt Passed Voting Rights." Yeah. And he basically said, because they're not scared of the Democrats and because their voters liked it. And so they're not they're not worried about diversity or they're not worried about flipping the state at all. So they just soon make it easy for their people to vote. Uh, and, and that's I think that's pretty true. The Democratic Party in Kentucky is weak, mm. has gotten weaker. Mm -hmm. And we could go into all sorts of reasons for that. But it's going to take 20 years for that to change, I think. Huh. I think. And as again, as I have said to a number of people, it will change when some of the people who are currently in their 20s and 30s get into their 40s and 50s and run things Yeah. and, and go, no, we're not going to talk about gays and we're not going to talk about abortion and we're not going to talk about this stuff. We're going to talk about governing. Hmm. So I think it will change. Hmm then well that's encouraging uh, all right so thank you for going down that tangent with me uh but let's get back to what you were saying i think you made a really key point there that the the democrats don't really have much hope until they move beyond the framing that the republicans have put them in so be more explicit about it. what do you mean by that well uh you have a a, a state that is majority uh, evangelical Christian, and in many of those churches, you can't be a Christian and be a Democrat. 
basically Democrats are socialists, Democrats are baby killers, Democrats are evil. I mean, you know, and what tickles me is people say, oh, we need to run in the middle because then maybe we'll attract some of those Republican votes. Right, right. And the, and they won't call us socialists. No, they're going to call you socialists no matter what you do. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever read any Jim Hightower stuff. Yeah, I love Jim Hightower, yeah. <laughs> but he's got a famous book about uh, the only thing in the middle of the road is yellow stripes and dead armadillos. <laughs> Well, that's what it feels like and, in Kentucky. Like a lot of the candidates put forth, I guess I'm thinking, especially for the federal offices, seem to be really, really lackluster. Yeah, like they're totally trying to walk the middle of the road and they don't get anyone excited on either side, no. right? Well, and Booker, you know, Charles Booker wasn't having it. Yeah. And, and he, what's interesting is, and I wasn't on the road so with him, so I can't vouch for this myself. But people said that when he went to East Kentucky, that he connected. You know, people, he would talk about poverty and he would talk about feeling left out and feeling ignored and abandoned. And people were like, yeah, that's, that's what we deal with all the time. Uh, I, I never have forgotten Harry Truman's quote about, if you give somebody a choice between a real Republican and a fake Republican, they'll choose the real Republican every time. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and what Democrats have got to do, they can't, they can't just be about the issues that the Republicans give to them. They've got to say, look, we're the ones who are giving you, who are going to give you clean water. We're the ones who are going to give you broadband. We're the ones who are going to make sure you have a living wage. We're the ones who are going to make sure you can organize and say you have some power with your employers. We're the ones who are going to clean up the land. We're the ones who are going to protect you from uh, rapacious corporations. We're the one, you know, I could go on. I, I, that's what they've got to do. And what's fascinating to me, Charles Booker doing. Yeah. You know, he's like, no, no, we, we're governing. We're not going to go out here and chase somebody's, you know, moral, religious argument. We're just going to do the work. And John Yarmouth said something interesting. I heard an interview with him last week, and he said, I have basically given up hope on Washington, D.C. ever doing anything. Mm. It, it just was, we, we, there wasn't any chance to govern. And he said, now... We're actually making a difference in people's lives. And you were asking about how I feel about Frankfurt. Again, I'm probably being Pollyanna, and anybody who listens to this will probably say I'm an idiot. But because they have super majorities, the Republicans realize they can pass whatever the heck they want, you know, anything. They could pass a law to make it illegal for Democrats to vote, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, and and so and so I think they realize, well, wait a minute, we've got to govern here. And so Democrats have got to be not shy about like I'll give you an example. This just fascinated me. They started polling on Biden's infrastructure bill, mm. you know, uh, and it's popular. And then they said, well, 
if we pay for it by taxing people who make for more than $400,000 a year and wealthy corporations, what do you think of it then? And it got more popular. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, people, people want, they don't, they don't want you to waste their money. And so Democrats right. have got to be super good about managing and about, you know, taking care of the, the, the ethics and so on and so forth. But if you say to them, do, if you go out to ask everyday voters and say, do you think that people that make more than $400,000 should pay more taxes than you do? Most people say, well, damn straight. Yeah, <laughs> of course they should. <laughs> Democrats have got to be willing to say I'm a Democrat. I don't know how long you've been in Louisville and I don't know how long you've followed politics, but when John Yarmouth ran against Ann Northup in 2006. No, I was not here for that. I got here in 2009. Okay. Well, very few people, you know, very few people gave him a shot hmm. because he had been the founder and editor and publisher of Leo and had written liberal editorials for like 10 years. And everybody assumed that Ann would come after him about all of that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, call him a socialist and a liberal and all this stuff. And I realize that we're in a different time now. But in 2006, being called a liberal is about the worst thing you could be called. And he held, he, he like held a press conference or something early in his campaign, like a week or two after, after he announced. And he basically said, look, let's get something straight. I'm a liberal, okay? <laughs> So, so don't think you can scare me by using that word because I'll raise my hand and say, yes, that's what I am. I'm a liberal. So I think Democrats have got to be like, this is who we are. You know, this is what we stand for. And if you like that, you need to vote for us. Yeah. Well, now you mentioned Charles Booker, and he definitely has energized Kentucky politics like I haven't seen in my my time observing Kentucky politics, and uh, of course he's he's had an unsuccessful run, uh, but he has not given up and walked away. He's launched you know this hood to the holler campaign to get more progressive voices involved in politics, and he had a big announcement earlier this week. You want to you want to share that with folks? Oh well, he had been sort of hinting around about running against Rand Paul, but he announced that he was going to form an exploratory committee. And for some people, I suppose an exploratory committee is just that. It's right. okay. I'm thinking about it. So I've got these people who are going to help me think about it and not to be, uh, casting stones, but the other thing an exploratory committee does, it is it officially allows you to raise money. Uh -huh. uh, when you form an exploratory committee, you register with the Federal Election Commission and you get a, you know, an ID number and blah, 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 and you get an account. And so now you can start raising money. And if you run, that money goes in your campaign. If you don't run, you can save it for another campaign or some people give it back or whatever. So Charles saying he was running, starting an exploratory committee doesn't mean he's thinking about it. It means, yeah, by golly, he's running. Uh, and he's running against Rand Paul. And I'm excited. I, I think yeah. that uh, the thing about Charles is he's, he's not holding back. No. Uh, I, I shared a, a Twitter video that I've tried to get the original link for so I could post it on Forward Kentucky. But somebody said, 
somebody was interviewing him and said, so uh, I think it was Rand Paul said you were a socialist. What's your reaction to that? And he looked at the camera and he said, Rand Paul is a fool. <laughs> and, That's and a perfect it, reaction. And then it went, it went from there. He, he went off on Rand Paul for about a minute and a half. And then, I mean, ripped him, you know, for about a minute and a half. And then, and then took a drink from a water bottle and said, uh, close quote. <laughs> it was wonderful. That is great. <laughs> I mean, now, do I think that there's a whole bunch of people in Kentucky who will vote for anything or anybody that has an R after their name? Yeah, probably. Yeah. But if there's going to be some, I mean, if we're going to lose to Rand Paul yet again, <laughs> let's do it with Charles. Well, yeah. Know? Let's go after it. Let's not be shy. Let's get out there and say, and say, Rand Paul, you have done nothing for the state. You are a crazy mixed up libertarian. You know, Rand Paul makes me crazy. Yeah, he okay. really does. Well, no, let me explain why. Because he's a libertarian and not a traditional conservative. If you think about, if you think about the political spectrum, uh -huh. libertarians, it's a Venn diagram where libertarians cross both into Republicans and Democrats or into conservative and liberal. So there are times that Rand Paul takes some stand or makes some statement. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, all, he's all about privacy and he's anti taking your data. And he's, he's raised cane about going to war without voting in Congress. And, yeah, that's good. Know, and then he comes along and he, and he says something or does something. You go, that is the stupidest thing <laughs> I have ever heard. <laughs> You know, so the other day they passed a, I think it was just a resolution, uh, basically being anti-Asian hate, right? It's a bill saying we, the Congress of the United States, think Asian hate is bad. And he wouldn't sign and it. Rand, and, and there were six Republicans who didn't vote for it in the Senate. <laughs> no. And Rand Paul was one of them. Oh, no. And you go, oh, Rand. Why? <laughs> and he'll, I'm, you know, I'm sure he has some wacko reason, obscure, obscure reason. Well, so yes, I'm, I am all on the Booker train. Uh, I think he's exciting. Uh, do I think he has a chance? I think he has a better chance than pretty much anybody I can think of mm, mm. at this moment. Well, you know, ever since I moved here in 2009, Bruce, I've I've heard over and over that there's more registered Democrats in Kentucky than there are registered Republicans, and, sure. and yet we don't seem to win these offices. So well, what's going not, on? They're not they're they're registered Democrats for a number of reasons. One is, I mean, at one time, believe it or not, Kentucky was solid Democrat, yeah, and solid blue, and you registered a Democrat to have a chance to make a vote that counted. Huh. Right. The, the primary, the Democratic primary was often the election. Uh, How long ago are we talking? Oh, 20, 25 years. OK, maybe. All right. Uh, at, at one time, West Kentucky was called the Gibraltar of the Democratic Party. Huh. Uh, people would Republicans would on a statewide election, they would come out of Louisville. Uh, ahead and then 
you know, central time zone would kick in and here would be all these democratic votes. Huh. Right. Huh. Uh, but that, that has ended. That's gone. There's not, uh, Barry Craig could give you chapter and verse about this because he's been here a lot, much longer than I have. Um, but I think he, he commented to me that after the 2020 elections, there is not a state office holder that's a Democrat west of I-65. <laughs> so, you know. Wow. <laughs> so, so, yeah, at one time. So the reason that all these people are Democrats is A, to vote. Family. There's a lot of people who vote Republican for federal and state and vote Democratic local. Huh. huh. So again, they keep their registration, but the registrations are are flipping. You know. Yeah. Uh, the thing that we have to do, in my in my opinion, there's a a, um, a professor who's done a study on what what basically what wins elections, and her she accurately predicted the 2016 elections, the 2018 elections, the 2020 elections. She's been closer than anybody, including 538. Wow. And she does it because she looks at things like turnout. And she says that the way you win an election is not by persuading people on the other side. Mm. You win it by turning out more of your own people. Right. And finding more people to turn out. And going out and registering more people. So basically what Stacey Abrams did for two years in Georgia. Right. You know, after she lost the governor's race, she started that movement. And they spent two years registering people and getting them to the polls on election day. And as a result, Georgia went blue. Wow. So, I mean, is Hood to the Holler something along those lines then? I, I know there was a piece published on Forward Kentucky about Hood to the Holler just uh, in the past week or so. Yeah. Uh, do, do you do you see that that could be a parallel to what's happening in Georgia? Yes and no. Mm. Uh, the Georgia thing was more about voter registration and voter turnout. Mm. Hood to the Holler certainly wants to do that. But as I understand it, their goal is to train activists. Yes. They want people to run and they want people to be activists in their community. Now, the result of that may be voter registration, and voter turnout, but they're, that doesn't seem to be their focus. They're more focused, I think, on training activists. They're doing a lot of training. So, uh, and, you know, if you get, so, so one of the interesting things to me is that one of the, one of the more active, not larger, but one of the more active indivisible groups in the state is Indivisible Southeast Kentucky. Mm. So there's an indivisible group down there, you know, in that part of the state that does quite a bit. There's a big uh, indivisible group and a big activist group in Danville. Okay. There's a, there's a growing movement uh, in East Kentucky toward Ashland and up in that area. So what's what's interesting is everybody thinks that we've just got to give up on rural Kentucky. And I don't think that's true. Yeah. I think it's possible to get out there and reach them where they are. And I think Hood to the Holler is an example of that. Now, you know, everybody wants to talk about, well, it's just Charles's uh, vehicle to run for Senate. I don't think so. 
you know, I think I think Charles is one of these people who can walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, and he's going to have a campaign, and it's over here. But I think Hood to the Holler is its own thing. They have staff. They have, you know, people. And they're growing. So I'm excited about that, too. We're speaking today here on Truth to Power with the amazing Bruce Maples, publisher of Forward Kentucky, the progressive voice for Kentucky politics. It's great to have him and Forward Kentucky here on Forward Radio. You can find them at forwardky.com or on, I suppose you're on Twitter. Are you on other social media at Forward KY? Uh, we have a Facebook page and we have uh, the Twitter account. Yes, we we tried doing other channels and uh, I'm just not good at Instagram. So <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I finally just bailed on that yeah. and said no. So we do Facebook and Twitter. Okay. That's fantastic. Uh, we're we're pretty active on Twitter. Yeah. Terrific. Um, so so I loved where you were going talking about these indivisible chapters. I wonder if you know, when we think about progressives in Kentucky, we're often focused on Louisville and Lexington, but there are other bright spots around the state, right? Uh, are there any other stories from uh, around the Commonwealth that are worth highlighting for our Louisville audience who might not know, know about them? Oh, the uh, indivisible group, the, I think they're called indivisible four rivers. Oh, So they're out in West Kentucky. Uh, I think, think Murray, but I'd have to go back and look. They are a heck of a group. Really? They have been putting up billboards Wow! right along the highway and right along the interstate. And I mean, these are not shy billboards. <laughs> they put up, they put up one just smacking Mitch McConnell. Uh, <laughs> and their current billboard is about a voting, approving uh, Senate bill one, the voting rights bill. You know, uh, and so they put up, uh, they did a thing last year before the election. Uh, are you, do you, are you familiar with Burma shave signs? No. Do you know what I'm no. talking about? Tell me about that. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just revealing my age. I'll <laughs> uh, go. There was a shaving product called Burma shave. Okay. Okay. And their advertising scheme was to put these signs along the road. Right. And so there would be four of them and they would make some little verse. Ah, when you saw all four. Okay. The, the, the fifth sign was Burmache. Yeah. Right. I could, I mean, if you go look up Burmache signs, you'll, you'll see what I'm cool. talking about. Well, they came up with some that were about Mitch McConnell and Amy McGrath and <laughs> so on and so forth. And they put those all over their part of the state. And I just thought that was so original. And, you know, and they're like, yeah, we know. And, of course, they had some people tell them y'all are heathen and evil and whatever. And they're like, they're like, nah, we're we're just going to have fun with it. It's okay. It's <laughs> poking the bear. So, yeah. So, oh, and that's what they do, you know. So, yeah, there are some bright spots like that. There are people. There are progressives everywhere. Yeah. Okay. I ran a zip code report on my subscribers. Ooh. And they're, they're all over the state. Huh. That so is Everybody's like, well, Louisville and Lexington, the only blue spots. No. Patty Minter got reelected in Bowling Green. Right. Right. 
She's the Democratic rep from there. She got reelected, and I don't think she was challenged too much. Wow. Now, the other thing is, I don't know if you follow Robert Connie at all yes. on, our, on our website and other work he does. He did an analysis of the election in 2019 that I thought was so cogent. He said for Democrats to win, the, everybody knows they're going to go to Louisville and Lexington. Of course, we, we get that. They need to focus on small towns and suburbs. Yeah. Because that's where they had that's where they actually won, you know? It's towns with colleges. Right. They need to do that. Got lots of those. Suburbs mm-hmm. around these towns. And and he did all these graphs and so on and so forth. He said, if I was the state democratic party, I you know, I'm fine going out and working on the rural areas, but if you're gonna focus your attention, you need to go to towns like Mayfield and Murray and Ashland and Danville, and you need to work on those suburbs. You need to go work on those suburban moms. That's who you need to go talk to. And I just thought that was really interesting. So anybody who says, you know, Kentucky is just a red state, yes, it votes red in terms of what the majority is, but there's progressives everywhere. Yeah. And one of the things Forward Kentucky has done, I think, is give them that sense that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really important. Yeah. And and you were referring to Robert Connie. Uh, he's also a co-host of my old Kentucky podcast, which you can yes. catch right here on Forward Radio as well. So he's a, a fantastic uh, thinker about Kentucky politics. I really, really appreciate his analyses. Uh, well, well, he he and Jasmine Smith, yeah. except she's now she got married, and I actually don't know her if she kept her name or what she did. Uh, they do the podcast, but they also do a newsletter. Yeah. And you, you can get the newsletter through Forward Kentucky. Go to forwardky slash email and sign up for their newsletter. And their newsletter is worth the price of admission, <laughs> even, even without the podcast. The newsletter is wonderful. Yeah. Great way to keep up with what's going on. Well, I, I want to ask you about some of the things, you know, just this most recent week or so. But before we get to that, uh, I think it would be helpful to have your reflections, Bruce, on this uh, the this season, this legislative session. Uh, I, I haven't had an opportunity to really talk with anybody on the air about it post facto, you know. Um, but w- you you've already mentioned that there were a few sort of surprising bipartisan bills that passed, um, but there was a lot of a lot of horrible things that passed as well, right? Uh, um, what are some of the things that most stick out to you? about this most recent session? Well, it frustrated me that, I mean, like I said, the Republicans have a supermajority or as the House Democratic leader, Joni Jenkins said, a super-duper majority. (laughs) Um, You know, basically they could do whatever they wanted. And so they chose to focus on clipping Bashir's wings. Uh Uh-huh. And and so they rolled in there. I don't know if you know that the the first five bills in each chamber are the majorities. They're basically reserved for the majority to put whatever they think is the most important. So your SB one through five and your H HB one through five, those are your majority party's priorities. And they rolled in there with all these things to get back at Bashir and 
you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. We've got an economic crisis. We've got people hurting all across the state. We've got uh, financial things that need to be dealt with. Sure. We've and, and, and so they come in there with with let's attack Bashir. Let's do an abortion bill. An abortion bill is a constitutional amendment, by the way, wow. which is there. Why did they do that? To bring voters out in 2022. That's the whole yep. reason they did it. Yep. It's the only reason they did it. So I was disappointed in all of that. Uh, they passed those bills the first week, got them, you know, right out there. And Bashir vetoed them just like they knew he would. And he they overrode his veto just like we knew they would. <laughs> and, so and so now it's in the courts. Right. And and he's fighting them in the courts. And it's just such a waste of time. Right. It's it's such a lack of governance problem. Yeah. And they tried to frame it as, you know, separation of powers and, and blah, blah, blah. No, it's because it's a it's because you were uh, you felt disrespected by the governor. So you're going to roll in there and show him who's boss. And it just that that bothered me. Now, you know, once they got the, it's 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 like a teenager. Once they got that out of their system, <laughs> then they then they got down to, OK, now budget and we need to, you know, govern and so on and so forth. The budget process was typical political crap. And I have to say, I have to say, Democrats have done this, too. OK. Uh, and when they were in the majority, they would often ignore the Republicans. Mm. Everybody knows that. Mm. Right. But here you have not one Democratic bill got out of committee. Wow. Not one. <laughs> Republicans did the budget all by themselves. They did not involve the Democratic leadership at all until the very, very, very end. Um. So there were a number of things like that that seemed to me to be petty and hyper-partisan. And, you know, I was talking about the leadership. I don't, I don't see the leadership as being crazy Republicans. I've already said that. Mm. But I do see them as being uh, hyper-partisan at times and going along with these power plays yeah. when they don't need to. And I, by the way... Uh, I picked at uh, this before when Matt Bevan did his pension thing a few years ago. I, I wrote an article. I said, I said, you didn't lead. You could have brought in the Democrats with them and you could have presented a we're all together in this and blah, blah, blah. Sure. And and, you know, so here we have I would I called some of the Democratic leaders occasionally and I'd say, so what are you hearing? And they're like, oh, we're hearing nothing. Huh. They don't invite us to meetings. They don't tell us anything. So that bothered me. Yeah. Okay. There were some, there were some bad bills. Um, there's a new word in the lexicon, which is performative. Huh. Uh, you know, uh, Attica Scott made a comment one time about, we don't need your performative uh, caring about you know, these issues pretending Meaning to, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're performing, you know, you're doing mm -hmm. this as a performance. So we all know that performative things happen in politics. And it tickled me that some of the bills that were really bad bills 
they waited to vote on them until the last two days, which meant that Bashir could veto them. Wow. Right? And, and you knew he was going to. I mean, you look at the bill and you go, well, of course he's going to veto this. So they held off voting until the last two days so they could say to their voters, oh, well, we passed it. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but it got vetoed. Sorry. Um, there were some attacks on open records that were unfortunate. Uh, the worst one was the one that said that the LRC, the Legislative Research Commission, which is run by the majority party, uh, could say what was open records. Oh, you know, wow. they could, and you couldn't and you couldn't appeal it before you could appeal to the attorney general. But this bill said, no, no, whatever the LRC says goes. Wow. So that was that was a really bad bill. Um, there were you know, there were some other really bad bills. But as I said, there were a few good ones. Yeah. So it wasn't the complete total train wreck that we all figured it would be. <laughs> but it was it was a partial derailment. That's for sure. All right. Well, that, it's good to get your thoughts on that and, and do a little wrap up on the, the legislative session that was. But let's get to more recent things. Uh, uh, this week, uh, you posted a story about uh, why didn't Kentucky corporations sign the voting rights letter? Tell our listeners about that. What was this voting rights letter? Yeah, I just posted that. Yeah. Um, so if you pay attention to national politics, you know that Georgia passed this voter voting suppression bill. Just a horrible bill, yeah. Yeah, it's a bad bill. Um, and the, the thing that's getting all the attention about that bill, and I'm watching our time, so I want to be sure I don't take too much time here. Um, the thing that got all the attention was you can't give a bottle of water to somebody standing in line. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's got a lot. But of that's people. not, I mean, I don't know how to say this. There's normal voter suppression crap, like, Okay, we're going to have less drop-off boxes, and we're yeah. going to cut your voting days, and blah blah blah. But the Georgia bill has a clause in it that allows the state legislature to replace election boards in localities with their own people <laughs> after an election, but before the vote is certified. So basically, they could say, "We don't like the vote in Lexington." So we're going to throw out their election board and put our own people in. Unbelievable. Basically, it allowed the legislature to overturn an election. That's the, by far the worst part. Wow. So they pass this bill, and they sign it in a closed session in the governor's office with six white males standing on either side of him <laughs> under a painting of a slave plantation. Oh, perfect. <laughs> So, okay, so some black CEOs got together and said, okay, it's time for us to say something. Yeah, really. And they, and, and they issued a statement pretty much as soon as the bill was signed. But then they started calling their CEO friends and saying, look, this is our democracy. And, you know, they, people expect us to say something. You all and that's when the CEO of Kroger and uh, other, other companies in Georgia came out with a statement, right? And uh, said, you know, this is wrong, blah, blah, blah. Well, the Georgia legislature, rather than stepping back and saying, you know, this is, we should pay attention to this, they decided to attack those companies, right? 
And so then Major League Baseball pulled their All-Star game out uh -huh. of Georgia. Uh -huh. And so what happened was this started ratcheting up. Well, over the weekend, so this past weekend, there was a Zoom call, some sort of conference call, with a whole bunch of CEOs, black and white. And they talked about, what are we going to do about this? And what happened was yesterday morning, Wednesday morning, in the New York Times and the Washington Post, all of these companies paid for a two-page, two-full-page ad in those newspapers saying, we stand with democracy. And, and they said these, you know, we have to protect voting rights, et cetera. And then there's all these companies and all these individuals who signed this thing. I mean, Amazon and Starbucks and American Airlines and Wells Fargo Bank and blah, blah, blah. And then all these people, Warren Buffett and uh, Paula Ab Abdul and, <laughs> and Magic Johnson and all these people and all these law firms and, uh, you know, you can go look at the list. So I, I got a PDF ad and opened it up and had this teeny tiny print. Yeah. And I went through it and I said, okay, where's Humana? Where's, yeah. where's Yum? Where's whatever, Toyota? No company, none of the largest companies in Kentucky signed that letter. Unbelievable. And I looked at all the CEOs too. I looked for Bruce Broussard and I looked for the CEO of Yum and Kindred and, and none of them were on there. And then I just looked and I said, is there anybody that I know from <laughs> Kentucky on this letter? No. Wow. And so, and so there's only two conclusions you can come to, which is in the article I posted. One is the people putting this thing together didn't think any of these companies or any of these people, no matter what at all. So that's one possibility. The other possibility is they called them and they took a pass. They declined. Either they never got contacted or they got contacted and said, no, we're good. You all go do that. We don't really care about democracy. We don't care <laughs> about voting rights. We just care about our brand and our bottom line, and we don't want to rile anybody up in this red state. We want to tarnish our brand right? with democracy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, if I'm wrong, and somebody can say, no, well, no, go look for this, right? And they can tell me, no, no, we signed it right here. I'll, I'll do a mea culpa, and I'll put up a correction and whatever. But, but at this moment... No Kentucky companies that I could find and no Kentucky CEOs and no Kentucky leaders, no Kentucky business people, no Kentucky entertainers. Wow. Have signed wow. up. Unbelievable. And it's hard to even call that a particularly like progressive issue. Voting rights. Like when did that become a left right issue? Isn't that just basic democracy? <laughs> well, so we've 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 come full circle. Because I talked about the division in the com in the country. Yeah. Okay. And I can remember when it wasn't a partisan issue. I mean, the Voting Rights Act was passed with large majority mm. in both chambers, right? The the uh, the Protection Act that happened in nineteen whenever it was, uh, or no, it was in the early two thousands. 
that basically expanded voting and, and talked about giving money to states for better voting machines and whatever. That passed with large majorities. This is a recent phenomenon where you have a Republican Party nationally that is anti-democracy and anti-government and anti-expanding uh, the franchise to people. And so, yes, we now have two, two parties, one of whom supports voting and one of whom is against voting. If, well, they're against voting if you don't vote like them. Yeah. And if you're not white, evangelical, whatever. That, you know, and the reason, of course, is that the Republican Party knows that the demographics are against them. Uh -huh. You know what I said earlier about, about 20 years from everybody grows up. They know that young people aren't buying what they're, what they're selling. They know that minorities and, and uh, you know, uh, of any kind are not buying what they're selling. The only people buying what they're selling are white people, primarily evangelicals. And so they know that their demographics are against them. So the only thing they can do is keep these people from voting. But yes, it's now turned into a partisan issue. Yeah. And, and I would bet you, if you were to contact all these CEOs and say, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I'm going to bet you it'd be half and half. Huh. I'm going to bet, I'm going to bet a bunch of them are Republican, but they took this stand. And yet apparently nobody in Kentucky has, huh whatever word you want to use <laughs> to take such a stand. Well, I'm glad you're calling them out on it at, at forwardky.com. Uh, we are, we're getting towards the end of our time, but uh, I wondered if there's anything else that was recently published on forward Kentucky that uh, you really want to highlight. I know there was a, a story about uh, marijuana legalization and you know, that's something you mentioned earlier that we, maybe there is some, uh, Republican bipartisan support for marijuana legalization in Kentucky? There is. Uh, there are a number of Republicans who, were, not this session, but last year before COVID came along, uh, Jason Nemus was pushing that bill. He had good support from a number of people. Uh, Robert Stivers uh, is sort of a poo-pooer of it. He's like, I don't think there's good research to show that medical marijuana makes much of a difference. Huh. Uh, but he was, you know, he was like, you know, convince me. Uh, but there were other Republicans who were ready, I think, to vote for it. Again, what, what held, held it up last year was both COVID coming and also everything got shut down. But church people, yeah. you know, church people are like, oh, my God, we can't have marijuana. And, of course, I, I think it is such hypocrisy that we are the bourbon state and yet we you know uh we're not going to talk about marijuana uh yes i think that's got a possibility and the article by marshall ward of where all this anti-marijuana stuff came from you know at one time kentucky was a leading producer yeah of hemp yeah i mean it was a cash crop right and at one time Marijuana was legal and was promoted as, you know, like a lot of things were promote, promoted as medical things. So it's only, I don't want to say recently, but it's only in the last 50, 60 years that it's become a real thing. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, there's another uh, column up on uh, forwardky.com uh, about this issue of an anti-abortion amendment on our 2022 ballot. Uh, is that the year Rand Paul runs? No. Yes. Oh, it is. It is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's let's protect Rand Paul with an abortion amendment. <laughs> oh gosh. It's sinister. It really. Well, is. and that's and and so that's going to be Charles Booker. I'm going to have my answer ready. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You what? That's been the issue that Republicans in the in the rural areas especially love to beat Democrats over the head with. You know, it's all about abortion. Well, again, I think that it's better if you just come out and say, this is where I stand on it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And just and just put it to bed and say that's that's where I stand. If you're a single issue voter and the only thing that matters to you is that issue, then that's where I stand. But let's talk about all the other pieces of it. And that's what I mean about having his having his answer ready. Yeah. No, I think that's spot on. Well, we're we're nearly at the end of our time. Bruce Maples, publisher of Forward Kentucky. This has been a great treat. Uh, I wonder if there's anything you've got coming up the, uh, on the site soon that that you want to alert listeners to that you're working on. Anything? Any irons in the fire? Uh, one of our contributors, uh, uh, Ariana Velasquez, who is a member, by the way, of the Kentucky Democratic Party Executive Committee, uh, she did an interview with um, Bernie Sanders' son, and it's a fascinating interview. Wow! And she's she's work she's she's in finals right now. So she's a law student. Yeah. So she is, she's tied up with finals, but once she gets that finished, I think that, um, uh, she's going to put that up and that's going to be a good one to look at. Another thing that I think people have missed is that we have a wonderful editorial cartoonist. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Aaron Smith does great work. And I, I get frustrated because I'll post one of his cartoons and I'll think, man, this thing is so excellent and then it doesn't get all the traffic i think it should so people can go to the site and they can you know look under cartoons and look at some of his work his last one he for a long time he worked in black and white but his last one he's been moving into color and his last one's about mitch mcconnell oh right on and i think you've got to go look at it i just think it's (laughs) it's wonderful so yeah those are some things uh we're going to keep posting we're going to be here we're going to be giving the voice well, thank you for keeping on, keeping on, even uh, with you know all the struggles of making it financially viable. Uh, we value Forward Kentucky here at Forward Radio, and we hope people will check it out at forwardky.com and on Twitter and Facebook at forwardky. Bruce Maples, thank you so much for joining us on Truth to Power this week. It was a great pleasure. Thank you for having me, and I'll be glad to come back whenever you want. Right on. We'll have to get you back in the studio again. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend, Bruce, and everybody stay tuned to Forward Radio. Lots of great stuff coming up here on Your Progressive Voice here on Broadway uh, at 106.5 FM.